Today's episode of Puck It Will Do It Live is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think Twins tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Welcome to Puck It, We'll Do It Live, our pre-recorded Minnesota Twins podcast. It is Monday, October 7th, and oh boy, Twins are in big trouble. Zach Pierce here, managing editor of The Athletic Minnesota, joined as always by our incredible Twins beat writer, Dan Hayes, and a special guest today as well, our newest Twins writer, Aaron Gleeman. Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm just glad I finally get to be on a podcast that I get to talk about, and you guys bring me in for the the pre-funeral show potentially that's right that's right aaron is so (laughs) excited to be here uh he joined last monday so this is the official end of your first week i believe on the job and uh the twins are already screwed how does it feel? i mean it was a great week if you completely ignore ignore everything about the team that we're all being paid to cover uh but yeah i mean uh i had fun we wrote a lot about them uh, the latter two or three articles were kind of sad. Sure were. Whereas the first three or four were kind of uh, optimistic, which now I feel uh, maybe a little bit silly about getting my hopes up again. The, 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 I've gotten multiple tw- uh, texts from friends. What's the Twins record in the Gleeman era? Yeah. So this is now the hashtag Gleeman era. So there, there might, although you, you might be lucky, Rhett Bollinger has been back on the beat this week after nine losing seasons with the Twins. Uh, and, and so I think that's where people's focus is. We can, we can downplay this whole thing. But, uh, hey, Puddle Nation, how are you feeling right now? You should read the fine print of your contract, Aaron, because there might be a clause about uh, the team being eliminated right away. And No, I'm kidding. Uh, the Twins are down 0-2 in the American League Division Series. This very well might be the final show while they're still in season. Uh, game three is tonight. Just across the way here at Target Field, we're actually coming to you live from Inbound Bruco. Right, this is our first place. This is where we did this our was, first. This is where it all started. This is where Puddle was born upstairs at Inbound. We're now in the lounge at Inbound, so I'm not sure if I'm allowed to plug them, but uh, they let us set up here uh, in a room that was previously occupied by 300 dogs for Barktoberfest. So, so the beer is good. They said they haven't really cleaned the room yet, so uh, it does smell a little funky. We have two microphones for three people, so bear with us as we sort of uh, pass things around, but. Uh, Let's get down to the ugly truth, guys. I believe all three of us in this room picked the Twins to win the series. Is that correct? Yeah, although, yes, let's own that. I, did, I said Twins in five. I wasn't going to make a prediction, and then my, my dear editor, Zach, said, why don't you just throw in a prediction at the end of this article? And I thought, well, what's the upside, really? Your, your first week on the gig for a, for a local site saying the local team's going to lose, and I thought, let's just put Twins in five. I was 
I bought it. You also said 2005. I did. I did. And to be fair, both are still very much alive. <laughs> yes. Uh, your Twins and Four might be a stretch at this I'm, point. I, I have decided to stand by my prediction of Twins and Four. You have to stand by You do. You, you do, know? and I really right. appreciate I mean, that's yeah. what this show is all about. Exactly. Exactly. But uh, I should mention also, uh, if, you're, if you are a Twins fan but also live under a rock, Aaron... Uh, does a much better Twins podcast, a much more popular Twins podcast, with his friend John Bonus, Gleaming in the Geek. Definitely check that out as well if you are not already a... Uh, do, you guys, do you guys have a pet name for your fans? Are they geekies? What are they? <laughs> no, I th- they, at first I think they were calling themselves Gleeks, Gleeks. but I okay. hate that. So I just thought... And also it seems weird to have uh, the people have a nickname. But yeah, Gleaming in the Geek. I don't know. We don't need to plug that. This is a... Don't don't say a better, just a more. We we've been around for ten years. I was just saying, so, it's typical Minnesotan setting yeah. myself up to be complimented. And this is a typical you. Minnesotan yeah. rejecting your compliment exactly. and throwing exactly. it back to you. And there's Dan rolling his eyes over in the corner. But uh, let, let's get to the baseball. Uh, the really really bad baseball. We are having way too good a time for the, what the tone of this podcast probably should be. Uh, down 0-2, two two. Uh, Butt kickings, I think it's fair to say. In, Come on, in, let's in just New say York. they got their asses beat. Okay, okay. It was bad. Uh, it was ugly. The the plan did not go well. The fight did not go well. Twins down 0-2. Let's just go through from the start. Uh, not that we haven't talked about game one and game two enough, but uh, the first game on Friday was certainly, I think, the one guys that had more, uh, more potential to turn into something good. Um, starting about the third inning, Dan, which is what you wrote about on Friday night, things started to go south. Um the obviously there's a lot of questions that came out of that one of that being should Luis Arise have been in there in the first place he didn't make it to a pop fly it was a tricky one but dropped in to start that inning uh later in the inning had a chance to turn a double play to get him out minimize the damage CJ Crone should have caught that ball as a rec league former rec league first baseman I, I can I can authoritatively say he should have caught that ball but that was probably the first issue that came out of it, but then it also affected Jose Barrios the rest of the way. Yeah, I mean, who knows what Jose Barrios' third inning looks like if Arias catches that ball. I don't think that the ball was – I don't think he didn't catch it because of the ankle. He was in position. Yeah, I, I think Yankee Stadium had more to do with that. And I, I actually talked to him on Sunday at the batting, uh, at the, uh, batting practice or with a workout, and I, I said, what would you think of Yankee Stadium? And he loved it. And, by the way, he ended up three for seven with three doubles. Like, he's the only dude that's hit so far really consistently. So they put him in there for that, and, and he said, I loved it. It was great. The energy is great. He said, they're really loud on fly balls. Yeah. And, and, and so, but, but I got the sense that he really enjoyed the moment. Now, if he catches that ball, Barrios, instead of facing Aaron Judge, up two to nothing with a man on first, gets to face Aaron Judge with one out and nobody on first. That, can, that changes the complexion of the inning significantly. Judge singles. Um, he got Brett Gardner out. I think he then was that Stanton was that when Stanton did the uh, angry bat flip walk and uh, it all kind of fell apart you know the the defense didn't come through you had the the botched double play and that's a ball CJ Crone should get Luis Arise's throw wasn't great um, and that ended up missing the double play not only blew the lead but it cost him five pitches so he's at 88 at that point or uh, I'm sorry 76 at that point after three innings that's a heavy workload and he was great in the fourth with the 12 pitches but I would argue that you probably could have had 15 fewer pitches than the 28, the way he threw the fourth inning. Um, and if he throws, if he's got those, you're in the fifth inning easily, maybe you can get six. But they hurt themselves and didn't allow themselves to actually be the twins to get to the late innings with a lead and try to add. And they, they, 
We have not seen the Twins that won 101 games so far in this series. I, I just don't think that they've shown themselves at all. They looked like crap in, in the second game. Their Tanaka just owned them. I He'd start off speed in the zone and get them to chase on balls to end up out of the zone. He threw 18 fastballs. They just looked nothing like a team that won 101 games over the, the two games. And that happens in small samples, but this was not them putting their best foot forward. And you mentioned uh, they didn't set themselves up to be the Twins. And uh, they did get to the fifth inning tied after a phenomenal at-bat from Jorge Polanco. Scored Arias after his leadoff double in the top of the fifth. And then is when the another interesting decision came. Aaron, uh, Jose Barrios comes out of the game. Zach Littell is the first person in out of the bullpen. Um, what was your take on that situation in light of the fact that at the time the Twins were very much in that game? Right. I, I mean, I think you can debate whether Barrios should stay in to pitch a fifth. Like Dan said, he was at 88 pitches. I mean, the, the cascading effect from the extra whatever dozen pitches he threw probably means that Littell pitches. If he gets through a clean third and you assume he has the clean fourth that he actually had, right. then Latell's not in the mix except for some type of emergency situation, and who knows how it ends up. I, I had no huge problem with them taking out Barrios after four. I thought at that point it was sort of a coin flip. He'd be facing Judge for a third time, all that stuff. Right. He'd clearly be going past 100 pitches. and he I mean, he hasn't been great for the last two months anyway. I just thought if you're going to do that, go right to your – what I guess would be four main relievers at that yeah. point. And, you know, I'm not – was bringing in Zach Cattell. Zach Cattell has been great for them for, yeah. for a large part of the year, but he also hasn't worked much high leverage, and he spent probably half of the last six weeks at AAA because right. he had a minor league option remaining. And so to bring him in in that spot, and he just didn't have it. I mean, he wasn't throwing strikes. He plunks Gardner. And then you bring in one of your main guys anyway, except he's got to put out a fire instead of being able to start it inning clean – Maybe you bring in Duffy. Not only does he get through that inning clean if he starts it, but maybe he can get an out or two in the next inning. Then you go to May, then you go to Romo, then you go to Rogers. I just thought it, it was an example of, I think, Baldelli managing like it was just some random game in June where why would we use our best relievers here? It's not a high-leverage spot, but it was a high-leverage spot, and it turned out to be no high-leverage spot available the next day anyway, in which case now Taylor Rogers hasn't pitched in 10 days. The one, the one point I liked about Littell, I, I looked it up, average, the leverage index, he had 12 above one, and, and one's the average. So out of his 28 or whatever it was, they were at least in tight spots roughly. But I think what they were working off of is the fact that he probably, like he was stunning from June on. You know, he had 101 ERA after that, where, I love saying it, the wear it out in, because he totally eight runs in Tampa, four and a third innings, and they left him out there. The rest of the year, 101 ERA, he was really good. But the thing is, is that, like, you look, and he pitched critical innings in that bullpen day doubleheader. He had big moments down the stretch, and I think that they relied on that. He pitched two innings against Boston in the 17-inning uh, win. So he had some moments where, like, even though it was sporadic and it was up and down, he really showed them that he could handle it. And, and honestly, like, talking to him this season, he has, to me, seemed like a – He's gone from the kid last year that was scared when he came up to he knows he's going to be a reliever and he's got this bulldog mentality and he's going to attack. And so that's why it was it was absolutely shocking to see him as off as he was. I think he threw nine pitches. Did he have one strike? Uh, it was it was shocking. And he came in in game two and got the out. And I think that was a big kind of hurdle for him because he said after the game he didn't trust his stuff. 
that's not what you want to hear from the, the first guy you go to. And, and uh, the, one last thing, Jose Barrios, what I did like, and, and you're right, he has not been very good. His last four were pretty solid. He was turning a corner, but he made pitches throughout. Like the first inning ends with a ground ball to snow. The second inning ended with a ground ball to snow. The third inning should have ended with a ground ball to snow. He, he kept getting the Yankees to hit his pitches, even though he was using a lot of them and he was navigating effectively. It would have been nice to see him get a fifth. Um, it would have been nice to have him not have those three stressful to, to for them to clearly say we're doing this. But I think they felt confident in the lineup of Littell, then Duffy, then May, then Romo, then Rogers, And any of the guys could have come in early um, if one of the other guys showed a sign of weakness. And, and I think that's how they tried to map it out. It just didn't go their way. Yeah, I think, I think if they turn that double play and the fourth inning still goes clean, they at least put him out to start the fifth. But the thing about the fifth with how it shook out was Gardner, or sorry, Judge Gardner Encarnacion do up. They were three for five with a walk off him the first two times through the order. Tough to see him uh, being sent out there for a third time. And, and Encarnacion in particular had roped two hits off of him. So uh, that all made sense. And then Tyler Duffy comes in, did a pretty fantastic job given the situation, did give up uh, two runs, I believe, uh, that were charged to Littell. But uh, then the Twins come back in the sixth. Sano gets a homer. They get back to 5-4. Baldelli's response, Cody Stashak, who I think would fall into uh, Ken Rosenthal's cat similar category with Randy Dobnik of really tough situation to throw somebody inexperienced at Yankee Stadium in what, again, is a very high-leverage situation only down by a run. Right, and I mean, I think that was, it's, I think, sort of the same thinking that went into Littell earlier, which is Stashek pitched great for them. Right. I mean, he was at double-A, triple-A, came up, pitched great, 21, 25 strikeouts and one walk, I think. Right. I think Cody Stashek is going to have a nice career as a major league, solid middle reliever, maybe even a setup man. I just wonder, like, why then, why there, why when you have a fully rested bullpen yeah. with clearly four or five guys who are above him on the hierarchy – why make that same basically the same choice which is you go to Latell, who i think would probably be their fifth best reliever and then you go to stashak who would be their sixth best reliever. now those are solid guys to have as your fifth and sixth best reliever but i i just don't understand the sort of saving of bullets for moments that you don't know will arrive and yes the eighth or the ninth inning of that game if it were close yeah. is a higher leverage spot but a one-run game in the sixth or seventh inning of game one of the playoffs is pretty high leverage, too. And and the one part that was really tough about this was with the group that they took, there were going to be a lot of guys that were getting their first taste of Yankee Stadium in front of, I'm not going to lie, that was a fucking electric crowd. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, holy shit, I was blown away. Like you, I notice it when I'm at games sometimes where when the crowd is that good, you get caught up in the energy and you're like, oh, my God, it's already the fifth inning. How is this even happening? That was that that night. And so I, you know, in hindsight, because at the time, I was like, you know, Stashak's been one of their guys. I totally agree thinking about it after the fact. It's like it's a rookie. He's untested. And, and that's a really tough spot. And it might have made better sense for Trevor May. Now, you look at how they did go, and they end up using Gratterall in the ninth, I think, that night. And he's a guy that's interesting, too. I think they looked at it pragmatically rather than the they, they had 12 outs to go. And... Rocco's been asked about it a couple times about his decisions the last couple days, and he said, I don't have any regrets. I totally understand that. I agree to an extent when you look at it. We have to manage this and get through it. But at the same time, 
the playoffs are the playoffs, and you do have to pull the trigger sometimes and make some tough calls. And if you look at, I mean, because Aaron Boone basically had the same pitching plan with Paxton yes. that the Twins had with Barrios. Paxton got two more outs than Barrios, but clearly it was get him through the lineup twice and then have a quick hook, and he, and he did. He, he didn't even last five innings. And Adovino's hook was... And, and then, <laughs> but then Boone immediately went to his best and second best yep. right-handed relievers. I thought the Adovino for one batter was kind of odd. That was. But setting that aside, he clearly, you know, they had Britton and Chapman in reserve. But he went to what I would argue was probably like his second and fourth best reliever at that point, whereas the Twins went to their fifth and sixth best reliever. Now, maybe that's just semantic. Maybe it's just, you know, you're, you're just choosing guys who are all sort of in the same boat, and maybe you can just say that the Yankees' high-end guys are a little bit better. But I, I think, you know, what you said about Baldelli's quote today or yesterday, which is, I wouldn't do anything differently, I, I suspect, particularly if they lose game three, that if you gave him a little truth serum a month from now and said, don't you want to live or die with the guys you feel the most confident living and die with? And that's easy, but I think he he was sort of planning as if, well, I'll have a chance to use these guys tomorrow night. Right. And if he would have had a 3-1 lead after six in game two, it would have worked brilliantly, although he ended up using Duffy back-to-back anyway, and so right. you could have used half those. I mean, Romo certainly could have pitched an inning in game one and an inning in game two. Trevor May, I'm sure, would tell you he could pitch an inning followed by an inning. You know Taylor Rogers can because right. he's done it all year, and so that was the confusing part to me. Well, this is what all this rest throughout the season is supposed to have been for, this this moment. So to see that unfold the way it did and Rocco admitting or, or saying that he didn't have any regrets, he also sort of, I think, in those comments today said, however, you do second-guess it, and obviously it's easy to look back and go, what were you thinking when Zach Littell clearly didn't have it, when Cody Stashak did okay but gave him two solo homers in the mix? It's easy to look back and go, what the hell were they thinking? But the logic is clear, I think, in a situation. You were in that game. Go to your best people early. Maybe Rocco's not even – maybe he's not even thinking about tomorrow night. Maybe he's thinking about later tonight. Like, if this game gets in the eighth, ninth, I want to have those guys ready. But the problem is you have to get there, and the Yankees are just so damn tough. And, and the one part I'll say about that is – I, you look at the Yankees, and I know that Aaron Boone got a lot of criticism last year for not having a quick hook, and he's changed his mode a little bit, Ottavino early and then pulling him after one batter. I mean, there was a point where um, our Yankees writer, Lindsey Adler, like, uh, wait, Zach Britton's coming in for the, was it the seventh inning? Yeah. yeah. Uh, who's who's going to, yeah, but who's going to pitch? And, and they got to the point where they're up by three, and then they pull away, and J.A. Happ comes in for one inning and pitches, and then they go to Chapman, which, by the way, We'll not uh, talk about – I can't believe Chapman's pitched twice in this series right now with the ass kickings. I'm, I'm, I am stunned because I was in Chicago for the World Series run, and uh, I still recall Chapman pitching a little too long in pointless games. Um, you know, game six he comes in after pitching two and a third or getting whatever it was, seven or eight outs in uh, game five and then having to pitch in game seven again. I, I don't know why Chapman pitched twice in this series so far. I do get it that they are saying this is important. We need to get this win and, and close it out. But but the fact that he went to Hap, you know, sometimes you adjust and you make do. And the only thing that I worry about there is we is Kyle Gibson your guy in a – Do you if you're up four runs, do you go to Kyle Gibson in the eighth inning if you've run through all your bullpen and you're trying to get to Rodgers? That part is the – it's not a guy that is used to this role, and and so I wondered how they would do it in the late innings if they ran through all those guys. Because that's the thing with this new era of bullpen management is you get guys, you get critical outs, but they pitch a lot of stressful outs. 
and then their pitch counts get up and then what do you oh shit what do you do like i got five outs to go and i got one guy to do it um can he do this and what we've seen it with sometimes with the taylor rogers multi-inning saves this year it's like what if his pitch count hits 40 with two outs left in the game do you keep stretching him like do you blow him out for the next day by doing that and so i it's really tricky it's so fascinating how this has changed baseball the last couple years and it's really good debate especially when like you you get to review it um i i'm really glad that i don't have to make any of these decisions (laughs) yeah it's uh it's it's no fun i'm sure to be the manager of the team yeah i mean and and also i mean i wrote about a day before the series started about how their bullpen depth was a strength for them yeah because of guys like stashek and Matau and duffy emerging but i think the one difference is that it's it's great to have a better fifth sixth seventh and eighth best option than your opponent but that doesn't mean you should turn to them before your first, second, third, and fourth option. And, you know, like uh, John Bonus was arguing about this with me because he disagreed. He had no problem with Latile. He had no problem with all that. And his question to me was, well, what would you want him to do? Bring in Taylor Rogers in the fifth inning? And I said, I, I would have rather done that than Zach Latile. And you didn't have to do that. You could have worked backwards to the extent that you had May or Romo or Duffy. But to me... The whole idea of a closer is something that Baldelli clearly doesn't buy into to the extent that Ron Gardner did or even Paul Molitor did. Right. He's using Rodgers for two-inning saves. Occasionally, he'll use Rodgers for the eighth and Romo for the ninth or whatever. And so, while I didn't want Rodgers in the fifth, I think you can map it out at least so that you're not going – I mean, the, the Cody Stashek thing. I mean, I love I love Cody Stashek. He seems like a good guy. Yeah. And if maybe next year he's pitching in that spot, you're not freaking out. But – he has no business being in that spot. And even Gibson at that point, the game was not out of reach, but it was unlikely to win. Yeah. And even in that spot, that's the spot I would have used Latell or Cody Stashek. A, a mid-leverage game still in doubt, but not really spot. And then to have Gibson, who I assumed was going to be sort of your last case, break glass in, in case of emergency. <laughs> I, When I saw Gibson come in, my immediate thought was, it was sort of a white flag, they, you know, and 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 this is this is how I looked at it from their point of view. They're they're down by three. Chapman still exists at that point, and Chapman's gonna get five five outs maybe for them if that's the case. And they're saying, well, we got six outs to go. If Gibson can get us these six outs, we're in great shape. He can do that. He's a length guy. And then he came in and did what Kyle Gibson has kind of done. Like, it, 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 I love I love that guy, and he has nasty stuff. But the last couple months, there's been he's been around the edges, and he was around the edges. I mean, it, it's tough. Uh, Trevor Plouffe, uh, if you're listening, uh, thank you for defeating all of us in uh, Thursday's workout with his uh, interesting tweet about uh, what might be going on in the clubhouse. And then he tweets out later that Gibson's winning – the most interesting part that was sort of overlooked about that, Gibson's fantasy team name in the bathroom, which uh, I, I yeah, Gibson's had a hell of a year, man, as far as like what he's been dealing with. And so I, I wonder how much that's played into all of this. And so I get why they went to him and then it turned really bad, really ugly. But the, the, the one thing I'm going to say is this is not a lot of people are putting this all on the manager. And like and, and that's the part that I the manager's. That that stuff, the Stashak and Gibson, yes, they played into it. There's no question. And you can argue different ways they should have done it. But the offense hasn't hit. 
and the pitchers, the guys that they're counting on, have pretty much not performed. And so when you have that going on, you get this is all one collective thing that has gone on. This isn't like on one person. The defense let him down early enough, and Brios gets knocked out. I mean, this has been a team effort in these two losses. It's one thing if Zach Littell comes in and he's sharp and they still hit him around the park, but he couldn't throw a strike. At some point, you have to say, you know, the, the players have to pull their end of the bargain too, and that obviously continued segue in game two, which was a, a, a big pile of trash. I don't know how much time I want to spend talking about it. Your responses, uh, you can read your responses Ken Rosenthal's article. anything on uh, Slack were fun last night. Yeah. And, why is that? Uh, yeah, why is that? You no, you was were just defensive? not happy. You were just in a bad mood. Because <laughs> <laughs> like I'm well, it's just Slack, you know. and so for people out there, a little behind the scenes, the three of us were in a Slack channel and bouncing ideas off each other, and, and it, basically, it's the idea is that I don't want to duplicate what Dan's going to write about, and if Dan has some quotes that I can use, all this stuff, and so I basically said whatever inning it was after it got after Didi Gregorius hit the grand slam, yeah, I said, "Well, I'm open to ideas here," because uh, and it was like, "Well, yeah, I wouldn't uh, let's the less we write about this, uh, you know, three inning stretch, the better." And I mean, you got to cover it, and I'm sure a lot of people read it just from the, uh, you know, Minnesotan wanted to hurt themselves uh, <laughs> standpoint. But yeah, I mean, like I ended up writing about basically game three just because. There's only so much you can kind of wallow in game two until it happens. Right. But that, I mean, I, I thought game two showed the debate we just had about the, the bullpen issues in game one, made it even more clear to me that you should have used your bullets in the spots when you at least can guarantee they, they mattered because they ended up using Romo and then May came in, like we said, for literally one pitch. Right. Inconsequential appearances, and then, and then Rodgers literally didn't pitch. I think you go into those two games – thinking you want to win one that's the key and you were in position halfway through the game you were tied in game one that was your chance I don't think the offense did enough after that point to ma to matter anyway but I'm saying like that was the chance to stack up and say we're shooting our best bullets and they didn't do it they saved them and then they never had a chance really in game two because they just were never in that game I mean it was yes it was low scoring early but once uh, once Dobnik came out, Let, let's talk about Dobnik too. The decision to go him versus Odorizzi in two, and all, and this is from my understanding the clearest interpretation of why. And I actually, you know, when I when I think about this, so <laughs> I was driving back with Rhett in the cab after the game last night. And we're like, all right, so say they win game three, what are they doing in game four? And and uh, by the way, that will be interesting with Rocco's years in Tampa to see what a bullpen day looks like on the big stage because it could be interesting. Um, but game four, I don't know that they know. I mean, do you do Barrios on three days rest? That seems opposite of what they've done all year. And they've said that they are trying to not do anything differently, like to panic and do anything that they've done differently than they've done all year. So if you're looking at that and you're saying Odorizzi in game two, which is – better play than Randy Dobnak, no question, just because of experience, Yankee Stadium, having pitched there, all that stuff. But do you want Dobnak in game three with elimination on the line with a bullpen day to follow? And and so that's where, and there's been some debate about that. I actually think that going this direction was probably the right way because, I one, I want my best pitcher on the mound for game three for an elimination game. But also the, thing, the chances that he'll get into the fifth or sixth inning. And I know he throws a lot of pitches, and I know his pitch count runs up high, but He's a guy that knows how to do what he's doing. He's a he's a very intelligent guy, and I want him 
on the ball with my season on the line, or with the ball in his hand on with my season on the line. If not just to keep my bullpen somewhat sane for the potential game four, that's a, that's a big hurdle. And we saw them handle this in Cleveland with the doubleheader, um, get through 18 innings somehow. Uh, but, I mean, this is all just a quandary with Pineda gone, with Gibson yeah. ineffective, with, with Martin Perez going taking steps backwards down the stretch. The fact is, you know, people – it would have been great if the Twins knew that Pineda was going to get suspended. And it's really weird that – I mean, I get it 100% why the PA says, don't tell your employer that you've been caught. It's going to hurt you. Like, hey, I, I think we made this joke before, but Zach um, – I got arrested yesterday, and it's yeah. it's an appeal process. I would rather, until it was all official, tell you about my arrest yesterday, yeah. so that you don't have these two months worth of, you know, misconceptions and questions about me. Right. Pineda doesn't have any reason to. The PA is right to do that. It would be super helpful if they would let teams know that your player is going to be suspended, because Pineda obviously knew for two months. Nelson Cruz knew for weeks on end, and and. Man, the Twins would have been pushing a lot harder to get another starter in there because this is – they were behind the eight ball the minute Pineda got suspended, especially with the way Gibson just can't get deep into games. Deep into games. Your, your comment section on your story devolved into a, me arguing with people about Noah Syndergaard last yes. night. And I'm yes, like, they didn't know any of this would happen at the time. Did you really want to give it? Buxton wasn't hurt yet at the time. Anyway, I don't need to go there. But The, uh, Aaron, the Dominic thing that you laid out I think makes sense. To me, the, the – debate to be had was Odorizzi or Barrios for game one because that person's going to probably pitch game five. Right, right. Once you decide on Barrios, which I think that turned out well. I mean, yeah. Barrios looked okay. Yeah. He looked fine. Then I think the logic you laid out is makes a lot of sense, which is you can't have it lined up to be Dobnik in game three followed by a huge question mark of random bullpen guys in game four because exactly what we saw from Dobnik in game two can happen. He goes two and a third, two, even three or four, you have to unload, even if you only unload your lower leverage guys, you just don't have enough arms then to cover nine innings like you'd want to cover it the very next day. So you have to at least play with the off day in mind. And, I mean, here's the thing. Once Barrios is tabbed for game one, both Dobnik and Odorizzi are probably only going to start one game in the series anyway. So the order of it doesn't necessarily matter that much until you get maybe to the ALCS. But if they're each going to start one game, you want the off day following the guy who's likely to have the shorter start. And, and again, this is it, – it's so tough just to be – they <laughs> game one was their shot. Barrios and, – and we saw him with the jacket on the arm, and I wondered if they'd bring it back to start that inning. Um, you know, the way that that lineup is and facing them a third time, especially with Encarnacion looming – I don't necessarily go, okay, that was a terrible call because you, Barrios showed semblances of him, but his off-speed was the command on the off-speed wasn't what he wanted it to be. It was good stuff. He just wasn't commanding it super sharply. What was great was he wasn't making mistakes with the exception of Encarnacion. By the way, um, uh, how where on your guys' all-time favorite Twins killer list is Edwin Encarnacion? And I'm going to share a good story real quick. Um, I mean, the two guys I always think of, well – a, Tommy used to kill the Twins, then they signed them. But the two guys who have always killed them, especially in this era, the target field area, are Encarnacion and Jose Bautista, yeah. who were in the same lineup for a while. And they would just launch balls into spots that really only Nelson Cruz has reached or Miguel Sano has reached at target field. See, I mean, no matter how old this dude is, and he missed, by the way, like almost the last 
two months, most yeah. of the last two months, and then he just comes on much like Kepler hadn't played and was in the lineup, and then he just comes on and he just roping balls into the left field corner. It's uh, he's just scary. I uh, this is a personal thing that happened. Um, I helped. Edwin's two friends from the Dominican. Uh, it was awesome. Um, it was a pay it forward moment. Them with what? Uh, the day before, I was trying it's to figure out to the. Uh, yes, I do. Yes, it is. It is. Uh, no, but uh, the day before, I was trying to figure out the, the four train, and the local saw me just look deer in the headlights, and he helped me out. He's like, "Hey, go down the stairs and go around." And and so these two guys um, are at the machine trying to buy a card, and they have no idea what's going on. And, and they're like, hey, we're trying to get to Yankee Stadium. I was like, okay, here, let me do this for you. Well, then his debit card didn't work. And so I was like, all right, do you have cash? And I was like, I need $11 because I'll get them to and from. And they're like, no, we don't have $11. We have 20 I was like, all right, I'm going to buy you a card on my card. And just give me the 20 Turns out it was Edwin Encarnacion's friends. I'm almost 100% positive. There was a video or there was a footage of the guy with the parrot on his arm that they were showing. And everybody was like, What's the parrot? What's the Yankees mascot with the parrot? How do you people not know that Edwin Encarnacion runs with the parrot on his arm when he rounds the bases? This is like something that's been in baseball for years, people. Anyways, um, these guys were super friendly, but they were very lost. And, and I helped them out to Yankee Stadium. And so I think I helped the guy with the parrot get there. And I apologize to everyone. It might be. I'm in Rocco. It's Dan Hayes' fault. And may, here's the thing. Maybe you don't help those guys. They go into panic mode. Who's the one person they could call? They call Edwin Encarnacion, and he says to Aaron Boone, look, I got to miss the game. My friends are lost in the big city. And then they have to replace him at DH, and the whole inning goes differently. Or maybe just forfeit. Or maybe just forfeit. This alternate universe is amazing right now. Yeah, Yeah, right. The Twins could be up 2-0 right now. Thanks, Dan. This is going to be tough to go into game three with this on my conscience. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have one game here at least, uh, potentially two. But I got I mean, watching this Yankee lineup, it's just they don't chase. If you throw anything in the zone, they can hit it. Uh, obviously, the Twins got their fair share of strikeouts, especially uh, in Game One in particular. But they're just so tough. They don't. They just. They seem to hit the ball harder more often, and like make mistakes less than any other team. Gio Urshela batting ninth is ridiculous. It's it's just the the amount of things that have to go perfect for this to work out in any way for the Twins, given the circumstance, given the fact that I mean they have to get five innings out of Odorizzi, probably six, uh, knowing what's what's How about coming the in game four. But you know, not solo home runs. Good point. Yeah. But speaking of things yeah. going perfectly, the, that's not the, going perfectly the at all. Bomba, the Bomba squad, the five guys with the thirty home runs, six for thirty eight. Three homers, five walks, 17 strikeouts. Eddie Rosario swinging at some pitches over his head. You can tell he's frustrated. Miguel Sano had a four-strikeout night. Um, Nelson Cruz did not perform game two. But Max Kepler looks like he was a guy that missed 17 days of action a little bit. Um, Polanco's had some good at-bats. I think Garver had the RBI single. It's all such a blur. Did he have an RBI single in game two? Um he had, a, he had a decent at bat there, but I mean, it, they, Mitch Garver, and, and one of our commenters on the story said, hey, thanks for putting it out there, Mitch, that we don't look like a hundred and something win team, uh, so succinct. And I was like, God bless Mitch Garver for being there to admit that in the first place. Team, guys don't say that. There was a lot of non-answers in that clubhouse after the game. 
they were a little out of it. They are not playing like themselves. Garver's basically spelling out what it is, and, and he's really a good quote. But um, they need to find it, I will say, being at the workout. They looked very loose on Sunday night. And, and apparently uh, Trevor May brought it up in the, the press conference part that Nelson Cruz said to him after the game, very brief, just said, we're the twins. Let's, let's show them who we are. You know, let's make people proud. Something along that line. It was very brief, but he was made a point of reaching out and saying something. And apparently after the game, guys were loose. I was talking to some of the coaches behind, you know, just asking around. And, and they said that it wasn't much different after game two. This team has done this before. It's a tall order to really come back. I mean, at this point, honestly, I think if you're a Twins fan, are you are you just hoping for one win so that horrendous streak comes to an end? I mean, it's such a cliche to be like one game at a time. But honestly, when you lose 15 in a row overall, 12 in a row to one team, and you look like you did in the first two games, you honestly just have to say, let's just win game three and worry about the rest later. Particularly, you don't know who's going to pitch game four. But, like, that is, yes, it's a very minor victory, literally and figuratively. But it is something that you can at least grab a hold of. And then the other thing that you mentioned, just to circle back to it, on the, like, approaches at the plate. I thought their approach was fine against Paxton. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was a normal approach that we've seen all season. After that, and then particularly in game one, I mean, Tanaka, I mean, in game two, Tanaka pitched great. However, he basically just pitched them backwards. And their aggressiveness on first and second pitches all season, they can't ambush it because it's all off speed stuff. And then once he got to two strikes, it was just all down in sliders to left handed hitters that they swung over constantly. And then, like you mentioned, late in the game. I mean, that at-bat by Rosario was embarrassing. That's a guy who just doesn't want to be there, has no idea what he's... He just too above his head he swung at. But in contrast to the Yankees, it was shocking to watch. I mean, we know the Twins are not the most patient team. Garver is... I mean, they have a few patient guys. But that was an advantage for much of the season because they were making contact on the first and second pitches at bats. They weren't getting into strikeout counts. They were ambushing pitchers. But when you're not seeing any fastballs against Tanaka, and everything is sort of on the edges of the zone anyway at best, they're coming out of their shoes swinging at pitches that are just not hittable. And uh, if you look at the pitches that they put in play versus the pitches that the Yankees put in play, the Yankees put every middle, middle pitch in play and did damage and hit it super hard, like you guys said. And the Twins, when they weren't swinging over bad pitches, the pitches that they did put in play were on their pitcher's pitches. And I think that's the biggest difference. Some of that goes to the Yankees pitchers because the Twins pitchers were not sharp command-wise. They didn't they didn't locate where they wanted to locate even when they were throwing strikes. But a lot of it is just impatient guys being just complete hackers and sort of the middle range of semi-patient guys abandoning that approach completely. And then what you get against good pitching is just a lot of flailing away. And then when you watch the Yankees spit on every two-strike pitch and just fall off every pitch. And Tyler Duffy. How many good two-strike pitches did he make in game one that they just spit on? I don't know how they did that, and it was impressive. And it frustrated him to the point you you could tell. He just – he made some really – he thought his 2-2 to Gliber Torres was borderline strike. I think it was a little off. It was a good pitch. It was a really good pitch. And you're right. To your point, they they just took them and knew their, their patience was rewarded too. And they just kept taking him, and then he left one up instead of way up 
Like he was trying to pitch up in the zone and he left it and it gets punished. And every pitch that was hung or left middle middle got just destroyed. And yeah, I mean, it's, and also I thought the Barrios start while good was very interesting in that I think he threw like 30 curveballs and almost all of them started down in the zone and then swept basically into the dirt. And he got, I think, one or two swing swinging strikes, but also they just didn't even offer at him. Like, they just... Right. And Garver did say that afterwards. He said that they didn't start in the zone to where... And that's what Tanaka did do a good job of, was starting them, his off-speed, in the zone to where hitters were willing to offer at them, and then they dove out. And, and that was... So they're competitive pitches, and there were a lot of competitive pitches from Tanaka throughout the game, and especially when I was paying attention. And then the... <laughs> You, uh, Aaron, you mentioned, you both mentioned taking it one game at a time. It isn't crazy. Odorizzi, if the if the Yankee Stadium Odorizzi from earlier in the season shows up, the one who actually pitched very well versus the one who pitched the target field in July and gave up nine runs, obviously he will never be allowed to give up nine runs uh, Monday night. But if they get a good start, if the bullpen is used effectively, it's not crazy to see them winning game three, I don't think in any way. Game four, you really have to squint hard, but they are at home, and who knows, a little October magic maybe. And then game five is a firm believer that any game five, game seven in any sport is, is a complete like crapshoot. Like Fans and players can get real tense real quick. So it's not hopeless. However, this team, the Yankees, I mean, are just, for all the reasons you guys just talked about, are so tough and the concentration that you need and the, I mean, the fact that Brios needed 90 pitches almost to get through four innings, you're watching every other playoff game right now, and you see starters still in the game in the eighth inning with 70, 80, 90 pitches. It's just a different game against the Yankees because of the patience, because of their ability to, to, to waste two-strike pitches. And it's going to be really, really tough for anybody, especially Odorizzi followed by question mark. I think <laughs> game what you said is there. true. I, I think, think actually this is – I didn't look at the, the betting line for it. But Odorizzi versus Severino at in Minnesota is going to be the closest thing they'll be to favored yeah. in this series. So, yeah, like you said, it's not crazy to think they could win this. If anybody is well-suited for a four- or five-inning start where you're going through long plate appearances but hopefully getting through the lineup, it's a guy who only goes five and two-thirds in a normal start anyway right. and often isn't allowed to face lineup much past the third time in the lineup. Anyway, uh, I agree with you that if you get to game five, it doesn't, you know, you're coin flipping basically. And the thing about game four is the Twins, like, probably, I mean, they probably know, but we have literally no idea what they're going to do in game four. I don't think the Yankees feel great about their pitching in game four either. Right. You might see an opener followed by Jay Happ. You right. might see, you know, who knows. And so you're not going to have them against the ropes if you just win game three, but you can at least be in the same boat as them where everybody's putting out their last pitchers that they would want to go to. Uh, Yankees minus 150 in game three. I mean, so that is the, that the is lowest the line. It is. It is. And I think that is Vegas going there in these guys' heads. That, right. That's partly – and which is right. funny because Vegas doesn't usually go on that kind of stuff. But there is that uh, Yankee – But they're, Vegas is going into your head. And I think the better believe well, yeah, that the Vegas Yankees is saying, are in the Look, head, which uh, <laughs> Every New Yorker and every national baseball fan will assume that the Yankees will win. Right. So we got to juice the line that way. And then even hardcore Twins fans 
are certainly not assuming that the Twins will win. So who's assuming the Twins will win? I think just a straight-up gambler probably is assuming the Twins will win. And maybe, like, Jake Odorizzi's friends and family are assuming that the Twins will win. I, uh, I tweeted it out Saturday night during the game, but I believe all the talk from the Twins about how they don't care about the history of the Yankees doesn't affect them. There's plenty of guys on this team who have one who have who have well maybe not plenty of guys but enough that I believe that that culture isn't there which makes it all the crazier that it's the same as it ever was maybe even worse with the at least the twins and a lot of the other playoff losses of the Yankees yeah, were very competitive stat? in the games uh, I don't, well yeah we were talking about that is like the majority of the losses uh in the garden hire era were heartbreaking losses they were Joe Nathan blowing a save or Jesse Crane they had late leads it was extra innings and those, I guess, were more painful, except these are blowout, you know, fourth inning, no one cares losses, right. which is you're actually, like, getting worse. You're not getting closer to right. accomplishing your goal. And, you know, maybe it doesn't really matter. Maybe, like, they're equally competitive. It just happened to break, like we said, the third inning of game one. Yeah. And, and, you know, one grand slam changes it. But, yeah, part of me is like, well, it's not as painful. It's not as soul-crushing, these ones. But also part of me is like, I don't feel that they're any closer to solving this thing than they were literally 10 years ago when I was also uh, up in arms about how this could happen over and over again. Right. If they get there. If they get there. I don't mind Barrios versus Paxton again in Game 5. I think that's as good as you could ask for if they can get there. Game 3, obviously, is the first hump. Game 4, it's your point, Aaron. They might ask for fans to come out of the stands to pitch in that game. I don't know, but uh, we should probably wrap it up here for producer Adam's sake. But final thoughts, Dan? What's the on, secondary uh, on what's market ahead? for tickets look like for game three tomorrow? <laughs> or uh, tonight, sorry. <laughs> I was thinking about maybe blowing off actually covering the game and taking my mom since I don't know what people are going to want to read I mean, tomorrow night if the, they uh, The great part about anyway, that is but. you can bring your press pass, and if it's actually a legit game, you can yeah. run in yeah. and Sneak get on quotes, down. Yeah, it's and true. if it's not – Nobody's gonna care. Leave my, leave, leave my 68-year-old mother to walk home in the dark from Target Field. I'm not not sure that's a good idea, but yeah. Aaron, uh, my final, final thoughts is, uh, come on, Twins! I'd like to have more than a week of active baseball team to write about on joining this uh, crew for the new job. We have a lot of fun off-season stuff we can we can get to, but there's plenty of time to get to that. If you guys are feeling bad about not giving us enough time to talk about trade candidates and free agency believe me we can cover that during the winter yeah i mean i i think i feel rel- as as confident as the twins uh someone following the twins could possibly feel about game three i have no idea what game four would have in store and like you said i i think you give the right-handed hitters another crack at paxton in game five i, I think there's a decent chance that you see the lineup look like it did during the regular season but for all this to matter, for all these matchups and decisions and numbers and logic to even matter, you got to just do it once. And I cannot believe that we're in decade two of having the same conversation. The only difference, like when this started, I was having these same conversations and the uh, the word podcast did not exist yet. And we've now there's an entirely new form of media for people to obsess about why can't the Twins uh, beat the Yankees. So, yeah, five innings from Odorizzi. Use all your main relievers. Yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't mess around with anybody. Put go. I would just go May. If you feel like Duffy's available, go May, Duffy, Romo, Rogers. If you lose with those guys, you lose with those guys. But you can at least, you know, go into the offseason feeling like we, we lived or died with the guys who got us here. Uh, 
because I always have a movie quote for this from the Water Boy, Dan Fouts. Last se- last game of the season, Brent, you got to leave it all on the line. Yeah. There you go. Well, we will be back with you on Thursday, uh, previewing Game Five. I'm sure. Uh, I'm gonna just—that's a prediction. Although I still stand by Twins and Four. I'm the same. We're gonna be previewing Game Five on Thursday. But thank you for listening. Uh, thank you, Aaron, for making the trip. This was fun, guys. Had a good time. Uh, we will catch you Thursday. Like I said, thank you, producer Adam, who's gonna have to figure out a way to stitch this up and clear out the uh, the loud music and occasional cheering for something. I don't know what's going on back there. There's like seven people in here, but uh, they're obviously rabid Puddle fans. Thank you, Puddle Nation, for listening. Uh, Love you guys, and we'll see you on Thursday.